0: Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick.
1: Welcome to the program. My name is Rick Renner, and I'm so glad you've joined me for the program today. We're doing a study in Revelation chapter 1, and specifically we're looking at John's vision of the exalted Christ. And I'm believing that today, you're going to get something brand new from the Word of God. So reach for a pencil or a pen, get a piece of paper, grab your Bible. We're going to really study, and I believe that you're going to want to take notes. Now, in previous broadcasts, we've looked at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, where we looked at the word revelation and what the word revelation means. Then we saw that in verse 1, At the very end of the verse, the writer of the book of Revelation identifies himself as John. He identifies himself as John again in verse 4, and then when you come to Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I, John. A third time in nine verses, he identifies himself as John, and this is the Apostle John. And Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. But notice he says, I was in the isle that is called Patmos. As we saw in the last program, Patmos was one of the most foreboding places on the planet at that time. In fact, it was a repository for criminals of all sorts, particularly common criminals criminals and political offenders. It seems that John had been arrested in the city of Ephesus for some political crime. In the city of Ephesus, there was a huge square called Domitian Square. And in Domitian Square, there was a huge temple to the emperor Domitian. There was a whole priesthood that served him. And there in Domitian Square, there was a huge altar where sacrifices were offered to the emperor Domitian, where he was worshiped as Lord and God. And there was a statue of Domitian so huge, it's hard to believe when you just see the fragments of it, which today are in the museum at Ephesus. He was worshiped very widely throughout the Roman empire, but in Ephesus, there was a very strong emphasis on the worship of the emperor Domitian, and it seems likely that John refused to worship the emperor. Maybe he was caught walking through the city and he refused to tip his head to a statue or to burn a pinch of incense, but someone took note of his refusal to do so, and John ended up being arrested, sent to Rome, where he was tried by Domitian himself, dispatched back to the city of Ephesus, and from Ephesus he was put on a boat, and he was sent 24 miles off the coast of Ephesus to the isle of Patmos, this repository for criminals in the Roman Empire. It was a horrible place. In fact, you might say it was the Alcatraz of the first century. And now John, who has committed no crime, is there suffering for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And in a moment when John is probably feeling a little abandoned, Jesus steps into his situation. And this is what we read in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. And that's where we're going to begin today. And Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John writes, And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Let's begin with this verse. First of all, John says, I was in the Spirit. The word Spirit in Greek is never capitalized. It's only lowercase. So you have to interpret it based on the text. Well, in this particular case, it should be lowercase. It's not meaning I was in the Holy Spirit, but rather it means I was in the Spirit realm or I was in a spiritual dimension. John even tells us how he got there. He says, I was. The word was is the Greek word genomai, which describes something that takes you off guard or something that takes you by surprise. It carries an element of surprise. And by using this word genomai, John tells us emphatically that he doesn't know how he got there. He doesn't know how this event took place. It was the last thing that he would have anticipated on this particular day. And we even know what day it was. Because in verse 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Lord's day is a translation of the Greek word kuriakas. It does not describe the Sabbath. It does not describe Sunday, the first day of the week when Christians worshipped. It is the word kuriakas from the word kurias, which means Lord, but in this case, it is the word Curiacas. A better translation would be the imperial day of the emperor. This was a day which Domitian, who had declared himself to be God, had set aside. It was one day a month. And on that day, every month, the entire empire, everyone in the empire was to make sacrifices to images of Domitian. And they were to consecrate that day as a worship of Domitian. And on that day, when the whole Roman Empire was involved in the worship of a false god, John was in his cave in the Isle of Patmos. He says that very clearly in verse 9. He says, I was in the Isle of Patmos, literally in the Isle, because he was in the cave. And the cave where he was residing today, we call the cave of the Revelation. I've been there many times. And John was in his cave, and while he was in his cave where he was residing, On the Isle of Patmos, he had a genomai experience. The word genomai, in verse 10, translated, I was. And again, this word genomai carries the idea of something that takes you off guard or by surprise. It could be translated, I suddenly came to find myself in a spiritual realm, in the spirit, lowercase in Greek. Or it could be translated, I don't know how it happened through a strange series of events in a way that I could have never predicted, something that I could never duplicate. I came to find myself in a spiritual dimension. This word, genomai, is also used in Acts chapter 10, verse 10, to describe how Peter received his vision when he was on the rooftop in Acts 10, verse 10. And in Acts 10, verse 10, the Bible tells us Peter was there on the rooftop waiting for lunch. And while he was waiting for lunch, the King James Version says, he fell into a trance fell into is this same word, genomai. It was another genomai experience, which means Peter was not on the roof to have a vision. He was not on the roof to fall into a trance. He was just there sitting, waiting for lunch. And while he was waiting for lunch, genomai, he fell into, or he slipped into in a way that he couldn't understand how it even came to pass. He suddenly came to find himself in another dimension, or he slipped into a trance. Now, when you study how dreams and visions happen in scripture, it's never with people that are trying to pry their way out into the spirit realm, but rather these are people just living their lives, going about their business, when suddenly they have a on oh my experience when God literally invades their world. That's the way real dreams and visions happen to people that are visited by God. And that's now what we find in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John is in his cave on the Isle of Patmos where he's suffering for his faith. And suddenly he has a gun on my experience. He says, I was, I don't know how it happened. I could never replicate the experience that suddenly I came to find myself in spirit or the Greek literally means in a spirit realm, in the spirit dimension on Kuriakas on the Imperial day of the emperor. When everyone else was worshiping a false God, the real emperor of the universe stepped into my cave that's what John is telling us. And listen to what else he says in verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. The word great is the word mega. The word voice is the word "phone." Put the two words together. It's where we get the word for our megaphone. megaphone. It's a very loud, booming, booming voice. And John hears this voice behind him and the voice is saying, say, the Greek is very clear. It's saying over and over and over, this is an announcement. This is a declaration. And this is the voice of Jesus speaking to John. And Jesus says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Well, Alpha is the beginning of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the end of the Greek alphabet. But when you find this formula used in scripture, or even in secular language of that time, It meant this, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I'm the alpha, I'm the omega. I'm the first, I'm the last, and I'm everything in between. It was the picture of Jesus saying, I am the all-sufficient one. I'm everything that there is. And then he said to John, what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And then he names these seven churches. He says, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, that's what the King James Version says, a more better rendering would be Pergamum, that's how it was pronounced in the first century, unto Pergamum, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And now Jesus names these seven cities where there were seven churches. Why these seven cities? Why these seven churches? Well, we know why Ephesus. Ephesus was the greatest city in all of Asia. In fact, it was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. And in the city of Ephesus was the largest church in ancient history, a church which was founded by the Apostle Paul in the year 52 when he sailed into the harbor of Ephesus. The gospel was preached, the church was born, and Paul's ministry headquarters was established in in the city of Ephesus. You know, nothing in the plan of God happens by accident. Ephesus was called the gateway to Asia. It was the most illustrious of all cities. It was considered to be the most intelligent of all cities. And if you could make it big in Ephesus, then it became a gateway for you into the whole of Asia. The Holy Spirit sent Paul and his team into Ephesus, knowing that if the gospel could take root in Ephesus, it would open the door, it would open the gateway for the gospel to go from Ephesus into all of Asia. And the church was established in Ephesus. And Paul was there for two years. We read about that in Acts chapter 19. And while Paul was there, other churches were established. For example, there was a church established in the city of Smyrna, which was just about 35 miles away. Just beyond the city of Smyrna was the city of Pergamum. The city of Pergamum was the official seat of the governor or the proconsul of Asia. And so this was a very critical city and the church was established there. And then the church was established in Thyatira, which was a city that had been built to defend Pergamum. And then beyond Thyatira, the church was established in the city of Sardis, a very wealthy, a very legendary city. And then the church was established in the city of Philadelphia and in Laodicea, in all seven of these cities. Now, sometimes we may wonder, I wonder how God is going to send us to start the church. How will he direct us to do what we do? Well, in this particular case, it was very simple. These seven cities were all situated on a single road. It was a circular road. Sometimes it was referred to as the postal road. And if you began in Ephesus and followed the road, this circular road would take you next to Smyrna. Follow the road it takes you next to Pergamum. Just keep following the road, it takes you next to Thyatira. Follow the road, it takes you to Sardis. Keep following the road, it takes you next to Philadelphia. Keep following the road, it takes you to Laodicea. And if you keep following the same road, the circular road will bring you back to the city of Ephesus. So when Paul and his team received a divine commandment on how to evangelize Asia, The commandment was very simple, follow the road. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's instruction is very practical, and they simply followed the road, and these were the major cities along the road. Now, we also know that all seven of these churches in these seven cities became like districts of churches. For example, in the city of Ephesus, where Timothy was primarily the pastor. He was not only the overseer of the church of Ephesus, but of all the churches in that region. We know that in the city of Smyrna, there was a similar situation. There were many churches that were established in that area and the presiding pastor of Smyrna not only oversaw the church of Smyrna, but also the other churches in the region. And this was also true for all seven of these cities. We know a lot about these churches in these cities. We know that in Ephesus, the apostle Paul started the church We know that when Paul left there, it was pastored by Timothy who served as pastor until he was about 80 years old when he was killed on Curitus Street in the city of Ephesus. After Timothy died, the apostle John himself became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So we know a lot about who pastored the church in Ephesus. How about Smyrna? We even know about Smyrna. Because of a document that was written in the second century, we know who was the first pastor in Smyrna. And the first pastor in Smyrna was a man by the name of Stratius. Now, here's something very interesting early Christian writers tell us that Stradius was the natural brother of Timothy. Now, Stratius' name is not mentioned in the Bible, but in the second century, a document was written identifying Timothy's brother named Stratius as the pastor of the church in Smyrna. So imagine this, Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus and his natural brother is pastoring the church in Smyrna. So there was a relationship between these two churches, but actually there was a relationship between Ephesus and all of these churches, because from Ephesus, all of these churches had been born. There was a great relationship between these churches, and now Jesus knows that by speaking to them, he'll identify not only the problems in these churches, but seven. There are seven of them. Seven is a picture of completion. By addressing these seven churches, and their seven particular needs, Jesus is going to address the universal needs in all the churches that existed at that time and that will exist throughout the entire church age. But look what it continues to say. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Undo Ephesus. Of course, it begins with Ephesus because this was the gateway to Asia. Undo Ephesus. Then into Pergamum, we know that's just a little ways up the road. Then beyond there, unto Pergamum, that's just a little further up the road. Then into Thyatira, that's just a little further up the road. Then into Sardis, this legendary wealthy city, a little further up the road. Then into Philadelphia, a little further up the road. Then to Laodicea. And finally, if you had followed the road, it would have come all the way back to the city of Ephesus. Now, in the middle of this road was what was called the Lycus Valley. In the Lycus Valley, there was the city of Colossae. There was the city of Hierapolis, many other cities where the Apostle Paul also ministered. But in this particular case, Jesus was addressing the church in these seven cities. And notice what verse 12 says. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. I turned is a Greek word which literally means to physically turn around. This tells us this was not just a vision. There was a physical dimension to what John was experiencing. He heard a voice literally coming from behind him. And when he says in this verse, I turned, it means John literally physically turned to see the voice that was speaking to him. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Well, who was it that was speaking to John? This was Jesus. Jesus was speaking to John. He's already identified himself in verse 11 when he said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. We know this is the voice of Christ himself who is speaking to John. It's possible that John recognized that voice because John had heard the voice of Jesus so many times earlier in his life, and he had carried the memories of Jesus in his soul for all of these years, waiting for that moment when he would see Jesus again. Now he hears a voice, the Bible tells us in verse 12. He recognizes the voice, and in haste, he physically turns around. He knows that voice. He's expecting to see Jesus. But what does he see? Verse twelve says, And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Well, we know what the candlesticks are, because Revelation chapter one, verse twenty gives us the interpretation. And Revelation chapter one, verse twenty, the end of the verse says, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the seven candlesticks are representative of the seven churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. The seven candlesticks represents these seven churches. But when John saw them, he didn't just see candlesticks, he saw seven golden candlesticks. Now when we hear the word candlesticks, we think of a candle like we use today, a candle like this. But there's a problem with that because candles like we use today were not manufactured widely until the 14th century, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Revelation chapter 1. Then what is this word candlestick in Revelation chapter 1 verse 12? Well, it is the Greek word luknia. And the word luknia does not describe a candlestick like this, but is actually the Greek word for a- lamp like this. It is an oil burning lamp. And this in fact is a lamp from the first century. I want you to look at it. It's made out of clay. It's beautiful. This is a Herodian lamp. It has an image on the top. It has a handle. It has a spout. And of course it was filled with oil. It had a wick And when it was lighted, it gave light to everyone that was in the house. And every lamp was different. For example, this one also from the first century is Jewish. And the figure and the decorations on it are more Jewish. Then you have one that is Greek. This is a Greek lamp, an oil lamp, an authentic one. And then you have a Roman one. And they're all a little different, but they have the basic style They have the same basic structure. They have the same function. They may look a little different. In fact, no two lamps were the same. It was impossible because they were fashioned by hand. There were no two lamps that were the same. Every lamp had its own unique characteristics. And this is very important because we're talking about the church. There are no two churches that are the same. They have the same basic function. They are to be filled with oil, which is the oil... Of the Holy Spirit. They are to have a handle so they can be directed by the Lord as needed. Filled with the Holy Spirit, a handle to be directed by the Lord, and there is a mouth through which a wick is to be placed into the oil, and when the wick would become saturated and would be lit with fire, then It could begin to give light to everyone that is in the house. And likewise, the church is intended to be God's oil lamp in the world. The church is to be filled with the precious oil of the Holy Spirit. We are to be directed by the Lord to shine the light where we need to shine it. We have a mouth for declaring the gospel. And when we are saturated with the Holy Spirit and set on fire with the power of God, we become a bright shining lamp to give light. In darkness. That is the purpose of the church. However, a lamp in the Roman world, in the Greek world, was made of clay. It was very fragile. It was very breakable. Very replaceable. But when you come to this verse, we find the church not pictured as a clay lamp, but as a lamp made out of gold. Seven golden candlesticks, or seven golden lamps, would be a better translation. The word gold is the Greek word krusas. And this word cruisos describes the most valuable metal. There was nothing more valuable in the first century than cruisos, than gold. And this particular word describes pure gold. Wow. So John hears a voice. He recognizes it is the voice of Jesus. And Jesus is speaking to him saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. It is Christ speaking to him. In haste, he physically turns around. That's what the Bible tells us in verse 12. I turned to see the voice that spake with me. He's expecting to see Christ, but instead of seeing Christ, he saw the church. John turned to see Christ, but when he turned to see Christ, he saw the church. And when he saw the church, the church was symbolized as a golden lamp, seven of them. Golden because we are pure gold to Jesus. Even though the church has defects and though the church has problems in the mind of God, in the mind of Jesus, the church is absolutely golden. He gave his blood for the church. He redeemed the church. He died for the church. And even though the church has problems, even now Christ loves the church and Christ is in the midst of the church. It's golden to him. And we as the church are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, directed by God, saturated with the Spirit, lit by fire, shining light in a dark world. And the Bible tells us, verse 13, And the midst of the seven lampstands, one like unto the Son of Man. Notice that Christ is not ashamed, of the church. People today tend to criticize the church. They're familiar with all the problems and the defects and things they're dissatisfied with. And many people even shun the church. But Christ, who is the head of the church, who gave his life for the church, is not ashamed of the church. In fact, verse 13 says, in the midst of the seven lampstands, the word midst, the Greek word meson, right in the gut, right in the very middle of it, who is there? Christ. John says, in the midst of the seven gold lamb stamps, one like unto the Son of Man. Christ is in the midst of his church. That's what John sees in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, 11, 12, and now we're beginning verse 13, but we're out of time. So this is where we're going to begin when we come back in the next program love your church. Remember that Christ loves the church. It doesn't matter what you see with your physical eyes. In the mind of God, in the mind of Christ, the church is pure gold. It was purchased with the blood of Jesus, and the church is precious. It's golden, and it's filled with the Holy Spirit, and its function is to shine the light in darkness. That's what the church is for. That's who we are. But we're out of time. If you have a prayer need, please let me know how we can be praying for you. Use the information that's on the screen right now to contact us and our prayer team will begin praying for you just as soon as we hear from you. But remember, Ecclesiastes 8.4, it says where the word of a king is, there's power. Let the word of God release its power in your life today. And I'll see you
0: in the next program. In John's Vision of the Exalted Christ, Rick shares the riveting account of the Exalted Christ appearing in a vision to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos to deliver his ageless messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Walk through several verses of the first chapter of Revelation as well as pages of church history as we explore many untold details of the last living original Apostle, the Apostle John. This captivating five part series includes John's Exile on the Isle of Patmos, how John identified himself to believers as their companion in suffering, how supernatural occurrences take place, Christ's eternal positioning, and why he likens the church to candlesticks, what the exalted Christ revealed to the Apostle John about the condition of the seven churches, a message that applies to the church today. This eye-opening series is available in digital or physical format starting at just $10. We're also offering Rick's book, A Light in Darkness. Discover the world of the first century church in this richly detailed historical narrative enhanced by classic artwork in beautiful photographs shot on location at archaeological sites survey the culture people and practices surrounding early believers in the cities of ephesus and smyrna this book will make the lands and the message of the bible come alive to you as never before this beautifully bound 800 page full color biblical resource can be yours for 80 dollars don't miss these special offers this series john's vision of the exalted christ and the book of light and darkness call the number on your screen or go to renner.org to order call or go online now Hey friends,
1: Denise and I are coming to an area near you very soon. On Sunday, July 24th, we're coming to Word of Faith International Church, Bishop Keith Butler in Southfield, Michigan. On Thursday, July 28th, Denise is having a women's meeting in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. On Sunday, July 31st, we're coming to Covenant Church to be with Jesse and Kathy Duplantis at Destrehan, Louisiana. On Sunday, August the 7th, we're coming to Victory Church to be with Pastor Jeanette Furry in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. On Sunday, August 14th, we're gonna be at Radiant Church with Pastor Lee Cummings in Richland, Michigan. On Sunday, August 21st, we're going to be at Liberty Church in Fairfield, California with Pastor Richard West. On Thursday, August 25th, we're coming to River of Life Fellowship in Seaside, Oregon, to be with Pastors Tolbert and Mary Jo Lovelady. On Sunday, August 28th, we're coming to Spokane Christian Center in Spokane, Washington with Pastor Rick Sharkey. On Sunday, September 4th, we're coming to Faith Family Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota to be with Pastors Michael and Vicki Bang. And on Sunday, September the 11th, we're coming to Madison, Alabama to Cornerstone Word of Life to be with Pastor Mark Garver. Please check our website for the most recent updates and information about these wonderful meetings.